It's episode number seven of Ophelia Talks. Oh, Ophelia Talks is like in first grade at this point. My name is Zach Rich. I'm your podcast host, your proud podcast daddy. That's probably not going to work. Your, your friend. Your good friend, Zach. That's what I am for you today. Uh, I would usually talk about a ton of things before diving into the episode proper, but honestly, this episode is really cool, so I just want to get to it. My guest this week is Louis Flynn. He is the lyricist and composer behind our spring musical, Liz Estrada Jones. I got to sit down with him at his recording studio in Manhattan. Uh, Billy Aiken Tires, who is directing the show, also sat down to join me with this interview. So thank you, Billy, for, you know, double-teaming this one with me. Uh, thank you to Feeding Green for the use of our theme song. It's called Welcome to Enjoy off the album Green Planet Adventures. You can find more of their awesome music at feedinggreen.bandcamp.com, and you can keep up with everything going on at the Ophelia Theater Group at ophelia.theater.org. And that's including audition dates and all that other information you're going to want to hear about. I'll have that for you at a later date. But for now, just... Dive into this episode. Have a great time with it. Enjoy. talking to today this is lewis flynn with an i <laughs> <laughs> an important distinction yes and you're the lyricist and composer, composer of Liz Estrada jones of Liz Estrada jones and other pieces but that's what we're talking about yeah we'll talk about whatever we feel like yeah give me the lowdown on Liz Estrada. um this piece started as a movie as a screenplay that my husband and collaborator douglas carter bean wrote and he wrote it back in the 90s of last century. Um, oh, no kidding. Yeah. This has been a project time. that existed shortly into our lifespans. Yes. And I think it was originally something for Oliver Stone or something. We started going out in around 2001. We met because I was brought in to write music for one of his plays. <coughs> Excuse me. Plays music from a sparkling planet at his company drama department. That's how we met. And we actually started talking before we started going out about doing other projects together and he had this idea this screenplay called give it up which was this version of Lysistrata, but it was for football players and i thought well i read it and thought it was really fun and funny but i didn't understand how you could do a musical with football players because they'd all be wearing football helmets and we're not particularly <laughs> sporty and it was big it was that would be people. everyone's biggest complaint right. well the show was great but i couldn't see the actors right. the whole it time it would have been like you know a sound design nightmare <laughs> And I was coming from that, so I was like, well... So then we thought basketball. Yeah. Um, but the premise of it was still the same, that it was on a college campus, and Liz Estrada was trying to convince the team to win a game, and they hadn't won a game for 33 years. And it was this campus, so everyone was complacent, nobody cared about anything. So that is what first started, and so we put it into a musical. Um, the first readings of it were at Drama Department back, gosh, in, I'm going to say 2002 or 2003. Tracy Toms, the amazing Tracy Toms, who I had met when she was still a student at Juilliard, 
was Lysistrata Jones. We also were, had always thought of it as Lysistrata Jones being African-American, sort of a compliment to Carmen Jones. And we cast it with a great group of young actors down there, and it was a very successful reading. And then like most successful readings, it just sort of sat there and sat there. And a year went by, and another year went by. And we thought, gosh, we love this project, but maybe it'd be easier to sell it as a screenplay, a movie musical, and then come back to theater because it seemed like you know a real uphill battle, like it is to get a musical done. There's actually, uh, I briefly looked over the Wikipedia page when I was doing research for the show, but there's a tiny little section that says there is a film option of it still. Is that yes. a thing? Yeah. Well, yeah. That's. 12 years here and there yeah you you wanted the whole story so i'm giving it to you oh give it to me (laughs) so we went out and we pitched it as a film and then that sat there and that sat there and then doug did xanadu with dan connectus who was who i had known prior to xanadu when doug known and we said and dan said what do you all have any projects and doug mentioned this give it up we were calling it but at this point this was 2009 january of 2009 so it had been dormant for about four years many like the the computer software was out of date that it was printed on so it was really just an idea and dan pulled together said well i'd love to work on it and we said great so i pulled up the demos that i had done and i'd been working with jennifer holiday at the time and she had actually demoed some of them so that the demos are really good because i judged it up when we were pitching it for mm-hmm. the film version and we he got together dancers down at the gym in judson which was this old basketball court that we go to Judson Memorial Church. It's on Thompson and Washington Square South. And they just always had this abandoned basketball court that had was sort of a storage space. They were using it for Sunday school. There were some mommies and me classes. And so we just had free space. So we went down there and used it. Always nice to have that. And in that little group um, that he pulled together was Curtis Holbrook, Patty Murin, who we knew from Xanadu, Lindsay Nicole Chambers... Jason Tam, two we had not, we knew Patty and Curtis. Anyway, then Dan said he was friends with Kevin Moriarty at Dallas Theater Center, and it got to be March, and he'd mentioned it to Kevin. Kevin said, oh, it sounds really great. Send me a script. And we're like, well, we don't really have a script. but So we pulled it together, and I piecemealed a demo, and he said, we'd like to put this in our season and open our new theater with it, going to rehearsal the following December. So it was... That was very exciting and a very mad dash. We wrote it a lot over the summer and we had some developmental workshops in New York and then took it to Dallas and had a great time. We didn't really know what we had. And it opened at the Wiley Theatre at Dallas Theatre Centre, which is where we just did Robin Hood. Right. Robin Hood, right. Uh-huh. And it was the first musical in that space. It was a brand new theatre um, and it went really well and the reviews were great. It opened in January and they say it never snows in January in Dallas. Well, it was snowing all the time. So when the time all the reviews came out, which was January, and it's a limited run there like any regional theater. So it was closing gosh, I say middle of February. And people, the airports were shut down so people couldn't get down. Producers couldn't get down. Because the second snow hits an area like Dallas. And everything just shuts down. Not a thing. So although people were trying to fly down and the press was great, we left Dallas super but with no lead producers attached to move it. So we're back in New York. We did a reading in New York and and people came but still no lead producer. And then we decided 
Am I going on too much about no, this? No, this is okay. fascinating this is stuff. so interesting. So, yeah, like I we haven't even dipped into the show yet, but just this production history is fascinating. We got back to New York, and that would have been 2010, uh, like winter. We did this big reading, I think, in May, which is always a hassle, but the original Dallas cast came back, producers came, um, did it again at Judson, uh, but still no takers. And then we decided, well we should just we're just gonna have to do this again Mm -hmm. so we called our friends over at transport group jack cummins and uh laurie feynman who agreed that they would essentially produce it we would fundraise and and pay for it and then the little known fact about this is then where are we going to do it and doug my douglas carter being my husband who is the big macro and i'm micro but he said (laughs) oh well we can just do it in the gym at judson why don't we do it there that was great but the gym was not a theater it's a, a storage space so not only did we have to sort of self-produce this show then came the task of converting this indoor basketball court into a theater so while i'm trying to orchestrate and cast i'm meeting with structural designers con ed to bring in power from the streets we had to attach this huge rigging system and convert it into a uh, theater space all the filings that was a huge deal and, and pretty costly, but we knew we were, it would be good for the church, which it is, and it's still a wonderful theater space. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so many amazing productions happen there. Yeah. Yeah, so, that's incredible, making a completely makeshift area. And the whole point of our plan was, we'll do this, and people will come and see it, and move it to Broadway. We opened in May, sort of right in Tony season. Reviews came out, producers were calling. The next day, we want to move it. In a week, we had signed um, with Alan Wasser and Paula Harold. We were being pitched advertising campaigns. It's all the Serena Coin and Spotco, Spotco, all of them. Very whirlwind, very fast. The show is still running. They are bringing down investors to see it while it's off Broadway. They wanted to move it right away. So we're like, great. It was sort of this dream scenario. I went away and uh, over the summer and started reorchestrating. Rehearsals started in September of that year, or like end of September to open on Broadway in November. So it was really very fast, which at the time I thought, ooh, this is great. In retrospect, that was the problem because they didn't have time. The advertising campaign wasn't completed in enough time to really get the word out there. So that was tough. And then we had to move our opening night back, I recall, for some reason. So we were previewing for a long time, which we didn't really need because we moved I mean, the, the same cast. Yeah. It was, you know, it was just sort of <clears throat> restaging. And that ate through a lot of the reserve budget that the producers had. And then we opened in December. And again, great reviews. But they had they didn't have enough money to sustain it. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. That was the the issue. The rub. It's always fascinating because I don't think... I never realized, probably until the last year, just how much work goes into not even just putting theater on, but putting theater on at the level of off-Broadway and Broadway, even regional theater. Yeah. I think it's stunning just how much work and how much money and how much yeah. advertising. And even much- at like a level of like the grassroots level that we're at, like the amount of physical labor and that goes into producing theater it's so hard yeah and to be able to take a project from the ground up and be like actually we're gonna make this happen mm-hmm. is so hard and it's something that like i think you and doug are, we should absolutely be commended for because you've done it with so many amazing projects and yeah well it was a lot of work it was but that was fun too you know that the journey of the of doing theater is what you 
mm-hmm. is the point. Um, although I don't look forward to having to build a theater again. That was... Yeah, that was, that's, that's <laughs> a part I think. <laughs> you do that once and you go, I'm good. How old were Gabby and Cooper when all of this was happening? Oh, they were little. They were, they were kids in, um, gosh, first grade, kind of junior Sorry, these are your, your kids? Yeah. Yeah. Cool, great. Yeah. Um, so yeah, <laughs> On little, construction sites. Um, <laughs> the funniest thing was... Patty and Lindsay Nicole, all the Katie Bourne and all these great girls were in Judson and renovating this theater and they had to do asbestos removal. So to get to like the space you had to walk through this little plastic tent of you know asbestos. They were good sports about it though. They, oh god. Uh, let's dive into the show itself because we are at thirteen minutes. <laughs> oh god, sorry. Um no. so Lysistrata. Yes. Ancient Greek play. Yes. This version takes place in a college. Athens University. Around a college football team. Basketball. Basketball team. Oh my gosh, I'm still on football. It's the NFL season. Basketball team. Hasn't won a game in 33 years. Correct. How did we get from ancient Greek tragedy about warriors going off to war, stop going to war, to let's win a basketball game? Well, the, the trick is, whereas Lysistrata and the Aristophanes version wages a sex strike to make the men stop fighting. Mm-hmm. Here, they wage a sex strike to get the men to start fighting. It's a great dichotomy. Um, so that is Doug's twist on it. Ultimately, the in our version, the sex strike angle is sort of more of a plot point. It's not about that. It's more about well, I think it's, caring a, ca- it's, it's and- a catalyst for the women in the show to kind of claim their own sexual power and to yes and, definitely and and just their power in life and yeah it's about caring it makes the the guys care mm-hmm. and figure out that not necessarily what they thought they wanted is what they wanted and to find more passion <clears throat> in life rather than just the sort of superficiality of sex and parties and not caring you know just the surface but to dig a little deeper and the that's ennui what, of going through right, life so the sex strike causes more of that the, uh, than Lysistrata anticipated. Which I think is a modern thing that especially people of our generation go through. I know that I spent maybe three years of my life doing nothing because I just didn't know what to do and I was content in doing nothing. So to have a catalyst to push yourself to maybe doing greater things in life. I think that's mm-hmm. a message that really speaks. Especially this show was written back in the 90s and then you've worked on it and then it ran at the top of this decade but especially right. at this point. It's so interesting that how a couple of months can affect a show and and where you are in in the political climate and all the things that are happening in the world. And all of a sudden, I feel like in the last in the last month, Lysistratus all of a sudden becomes so relevant again. And it's been kind of a blessing to be like, oh my gosh, all of these horrible things are happening. But we get to do this Careful amazing how you finish that show sentence. that is going to be helmed by an all female production team. That's going to be helmed by an all-female band. So it's like all of these amazing things are happening from all of the awful that happens. I think mean, that's what art is. Art is a commentary um, and a suggestion sometimes to what the world should be. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well said, Billy. Thank you. <laughs> that's why you're an artistic director. Uh, I guess I can ask you this, Billy. I, I, you might have just answered it, but what brought you into the world of this play well, as the upcoming director it's for It's funny. I moved to New York. It was 2011 it was on Broadway. Mm-hmm. So the Christmas I moved to New York, Lysistrata opened on Broadway. And I got free tickets to see it through the Academy. And I saw it, I think I saw it twice in previews. And then I was here over Christmas and everybody else went home. 
or I came back for New Year, something like that. And it was me and uh, our friend Jerome Sabonte, and we went to see it again. And then somebody else gave us free tickets, and we went again, and then we went again, and we ended up going like six times. Oh, to be in like, college again, three a lot of free tickets. <laughs> so we we saw it a bunch of times, and I was so taken with it I thought it was, I'd rushed some of those I'll have you now uh, and I just saw it a bunch of times and I was so taken with it I thought it was so amazing and like I don't think I'd ever quite seen a vocal performance like the one that Patsy delivered yeah. and it was so full of energy and it just it made me laugh it made me happy and I walked away at the end of it and I was like okay I feel, I feel pretty good about life and I think that particularly at that time because I moved to New York and I was still trying to like figure out what my life was going to be it was just nice to see something like that and then when I graduated the following year, Doug spoke at my graduation. So I immediately was like, oh my God, you're the star jazz and I love it. And kind of fangled <laughs> out a little bit. Little did I know, five months later, we'd be working together when I was in the company on Fairy Cakes. Which the is company for... So the Academy, uh, the Academy has a uh, acting company. And this is the Academy of the Dramatic Arts. Yeah, yes. that has an acting company. And one of the things that Doug uh, has been doing over the last four years, we've done four projects now there, mm-hmm. um, is that he will work with the company and his kind of his rule of thumb that he's kind of made for himself is that he will walk in with nothing or an idea and then develop it around the kids that he sees. <laughs> Lewis is pulling a face like that's so yes, true. I'm saying that's historical reinvention. <laughs> it's called last minute and lack of planning. It's that sounds a, more... Yeah. But he did have an idea when he walked in the door at the academy. He had this play that had been on the shelf um, for a very long time called Fairy Cakes. And the concept was that the four fairies from the Midsummer Night's Dream, the ones that you never really hear much from, are actually uh, the fairies of uh, fairy tale characters and they have day jobs. Okay. So he walked in with a rough sketch of Act One and he came to see our first show. And I think I had maybe like three lines. Uh, and he cast us, and he cast me as Elizabeth the First. From Nobody to Nightmare. From Nobody to Nightmare. Uh, so I was Elizabeth the First in the first reading, and then we read it, and he went, you and you, you're going to swap. So I ended up as one of the fairies. Such a blessing. And I think what's really great about what Doug has been doing with the kids at the Academy is, um, I think you guys, and this is very evident from Mrs. Rata as well, they have such faith in young talent, and they're very loyal, and if you work hard it's always rewarded and it was like an absolute blessing cut to a few years later we've done robin hood we've done me and the girls we've done two Wong fu all of those things were happening and we were in dallas at the time when i like skyped in on a board meeting after a rehearsal and we were like, trying to figure out what we were going to do we were talking about musicals and we got knocked back on a couple and there was a couple of disappointments and uh lewis and doug had been to see alice and they were like oh you've got a basketball gym that's that's really funny and you guys like have built this dance studio this is really amazing and we went for drinks afterwards, and I was like, we just got knocked back on the rights for this musical. Like, we don't know what we're going to do. And Lewis just turned to me, and he was like, well, you should do Lisa Strata Jones. <laughs> yeah, hello. Just kind of fell into our laps. And I was like, oh, that makes total sense. <laughs> Why did I not think of this? And it was kind of like a passing comment, and I didn't really... I kind of thought about it, and I spoke to Brad, who was the original music director, and I was like, what do you think? And like kind of put the word out and then Lewis sent me the script and I kind of like linked that to people to read and then we had another show in mind and ultimately like it feels like fate keeps going you have to do this play you have to do this musical this is the show you do now Uh, and I think it's a really nice meeting of the worlds that all of the things that Doug and Lewis have done for me 
uh, and all of the things that Ophelia have done for me and all the things the Academy have done, all of a sudden all of those worlds are bleeding together, kind of leading us into this track. So this project's really coming full circle for you. Oh, absolutely. It, it feels so like it started cyclical. here yeah. and now yeah. we're here Yeah, it's so again. cyclical. It's all come around. So it feels like that lonely Christmas in New York was supposed to come Do you feel like that here. little British girl in 2011 watching Lissa Strata Jones was like, someday... I'll direct this masterwork. I'll direct this. <laughs> That's an amazing... Because I won't be in it. Because <laughs> I can't dance that well. Oh, dear. I'm a strong mover at best. <laughs> Aren't we all? Dancer. No, I am a dancer, but I'm not a dancer. I'm not like flips and tricks like well, this show is. Well, gosh, yeah. When I started studying musical theater in college, I had to constantly remind myself which foot was the right. <laughs> was that like your original? Did you see as much dance that was in the show as like? No, not at all. I never see dance in the shows. I don't either. Um, but <laughs> when Dan Connectus, he was directing and choreographing. I mean, that's his thing. So there was a lot more dance than I had anticipated. And is that when they throw it at you, it's like, come up with some vamps, give us some background well, chatter. Well, not really. It's more like those actors were doing everything, all like backflips on vocal lines. I was like, hmm, they can't just stand there and sing it too. Oh, no. But no, I was overruled. I'm always there for those choreographers. Gotta watch them. <laughs> well, He's always we'll like, we'll put her on our watch list. <laughs> I mean, during Robin Hood, like, we, all of those, I mean, we had, like, all of those crazy period costumes, and then you had, uh, we were also supposed to be playing musical instruments, so we all had, like, percussion, and then we'd be dancing around, like, lunatics, and it's like, okay, so you're going to be dancing in 4-4, but you're actually playing rhythm on 3-4, and you're like, I'm sorry, what? God, that's what you did to us during Alice, and I wanted to... I'm, like, shaking a basket, like, I wanted to shake you and go, this isn't how music works! (laughs) But it is, you get, I think, like, the... That's it. You get so carried away sometimes. You just get so excited about what people can do. Why I'm keeping you in check in this entire production. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of like the, like the style of the show, because it's very, it's like it has so many different colors in it. I've just discovered recently that now I know there's always a rap section in a Lewis Flynn show. <laughs> there's always a rap section. There's a bit of rapping in this. There's a bit of a little bit of slam there? poetry. A little oh, something for everyone. Slam, yes, that's fun. Well, musically, when we started, it was written over a long period of time. This was the first piece that Doug and I had written together. Um, I had a band back in the day. Check them out on Spotify. Please tell me what the day was. I'm not even going back that far. (laughs) Um, But we had some CDs out, and Doug had listened to them. And so he was sort of going through that and just putting these songs from my band that I'd written just as standalone Mm -hmm. songs, the show. Um, are there show? Are there songs from your band that survived into the yeah. show? Oh, when yeah. she smiles was one of when those. When she oh, smiles, very cool. I had tweaked the lyrics. Hold on, right now. Mm-hmm. These are all the big band. Just hits stuff that, that stood would, alone. Would just listen to him put in. I was saying, you know, Doug, I can write new material, but no, this is great. We're going to put this in. <laughs> so I tweaked lyrics for some of those, and you know, they don't necessarily sound like the band mm-hmm. songs. When she smiles does, um, but. The other opening to Act Two, I'd written for a fashion show. That was the uh, writing on the wall mm-hmm. song. Mm-hmm. So it was odd that these pieces ended up like this, and then everything else was specific for this. So in reality, piece. it's more of like a patchwork musical. It seemed it, but because it was over, the the it wasn't just dropping them in because it developed for so long. Everything was tweaked and reworked yeah so it all melded together but my goal was to make it musically sound like music that these kids in college would listen to and Mm -hmm. would be of their vernacular yeah what kind of inspirations did you pull 
when coming up with the score. I literally got a text from a friend that I was like, you need to listen to the show because you're auditioning for it. And I think that this is true for all of your shows, but particularly with this one, like the way you used percussion and um, even things like the squeaking on the basketball court on yeah. the recording is so mm-hmm. cool. Sampled that. Um, what was that sample? Those were, yeah, I put those into that dance break. I just wanted to have some surprises and, you know, change the world, the big number two number. You know, at the time I was listening to, I think there was a Duffy song that inspired me for that. I can't remember what it was. Is it was. Mercy? Mercy. Mercy. Yeah, that was like, that was a, they'd just come out, I think, at the yeah. time. Yeah. I'm um, familiar with it. There was Lay Low, which has sort of this, uh, you know, boy band-esque yeah, feel that was to the, it. Yeah. Um, I just it feels very 90s inspired, like kind of a crossroad between boy band, a little bit of post grunge, and whatever felt right for yeah. the moment. Yeah. My favorite piece is the big operetta in yeah. the second yeah. act. That's oh, it's my, my such favorite. a great place for that. Actually, I mean, I, I, while we're on the subject of like specific songs, where did that insanely difficult song where am i now come from and like how how did it end up in the key that it's in <laughs> oh my gosh well that was again a song that i had written a long time ago that i guess doug had heard but it was the lyrics were slightly <clears throat> different i can't remember the version we did in dallas was different that was one song i totally rewrote and i probably will always be right rewriting that one um, so when we brought it to New York, it was re- it was a new version because I didn't feel like the ba- Dallas version had as much punch. I was, you know, a big fan of The Bodyguard, the film. Yeah. And you know when Whitney Houston is up there and they put the fireworks and that and I will always love you and they do that huge key change. Boom. And, and I- yeah. So that, <laughs> I was like, I want to do a key change like that. So that's <laughs> the uh, when it goes up a half step and then Patty Murin kept saying how she wanted. No, but let's take it up. Let's take it up. And, you know, so it's a D sharp. Oh, yeah. And it's like, hey, not everyone can belt a D sharp. And I'm, you know, it's going to be a problem down the road. <laughs> so she's like, well, that's... It's all her fault at this point. Problem. <laughs> it's so interesting because I, I'm always interested to see if people will take... Because it's not in the music, the, D, the, the final D sharp, is it? What is it? Because I'm always like, is somebody going to option up or somebody going to option down? But yeah, (laughs) I I release it. I have music in different keys. Yeah. But for that, I just, that song, I just wanted it to make the journey of the song important. To make sense the one time this character has a moment of self-reflection and to go through her mindset and the decision of whether to to stay, go forward or go back. Mm Mm-hmm. We were talking about um, we've just because we're uh, we were just in some like preliminary audition stages and like talking about the character and, and what where she comes from and what's going on and it's it's so interesting that she comes from she sees the world uh, it, like a like a rainbow like a ray of light she's constantly on the up she's always going for the positive she sees the best in everyone and almost becomes fixated on the goodness in people until she's distracted by something else and her focus is taken she's kind of like a gnat to like light. And it's interesting because that's the only moment in the show where you see her everything fall away and she starts from nothing mm-hmm. and still manages to find this huge arc out. She, right. re- she sends it out and the universe gives it back to her. It's a, an insane... I remember seeing it and being like, this is the best thing in the world. But it's such a massive song to sing. It's, yeah. It really does sort the... So it's the men from the boys, as they say. It's a big audition song now. Mm-hmm. Samuel French has it in their audition books and... It's all over YouTube, and uh, 
It's great to hear. Well, it's a great audition song because it's so technical as well. Mm-hmm. You have to have the technique to be able to sing that Easily. song. Easily, yeah. If you don't have it, it ain't gonna come out. It's a boomer bust song. Yeah, I, I was. Funny, I was reading. I was just like YouTubing other productions to see what was going on in the world, and uh, there was like a comment below on one of the one of the uh, videos, and someone had said like, "And they say so much better is the hardest musical th- song, musical theatre song to sing." And I was like, "Actually, no, I'd agree with that. I think it's probably one of the harder ones to sing. Mm. It's really tough, and it's so funny even at your." concert that you had in May hearing Patty do it again it's like oh gosh she really knocks it out of the park yeah every she time something she's just a delight that one it's an incredible vocal it's a very roundabout way of saying you did great work <laughs> <laughs> proud of you kid I'm really excited about it I think that we've got it's it's such a like great mesh of the world and all of the amazing things that are already starting to happen with the production are really exciting to me yeah uh, we're going to be completely turning that space we don't have uh, the resources to be able to turn our gym into a theatre, but we are going to be doing, we're going to be turning that small space into a basketball court, and Shelby has amazing ideas as to how we're going to achieve that. I just genuinely can't wait for everyone to come up to me and say, the show was great, why didn't you just do it in the gym? Because, uh, are you an idiot? Like, also there's basketball going on. So it's probably <laughs> the always, first time There's going to be a basketball be to, game like, going on beside the basketball the game. On. Uh, so it's going to be like a real adventure and we're going to be doing like a charity basketball game with the club and have their oh, team wow. play our actors and it's going to be fun it's going to be um, we're really lucky that we've got such an incredible production team we're not getting place. any sleep until September no that's just what our life is going to be but it's but really it's awesome it's for our art oh my gosh yeah we did when for Broadway they did a whole week of just basketball rehearsal. Oh, God. Oh, gosh. You know, called basketball practice, I think is the proper word. And they brought in, oh, and I'm going to forget his name, a very, very famous, like, NBA mm-hmm. coach and player. Somehow, Paula Harold, the producer, knew somebody. I think they were an investor, but it was a whole thing. And they were, went to this special NBA gym, <laughs> seeing all the, the actors. Some of the guys are really good, but... Some, you know, basketball is not necessarily your yeah. strength. I thought you were judging the basketball player's performance, and I was like, that's an interesting world to dive into. Well, actually, <laughs> query yeah. me this. Did Patty hit the, hit the oh, shot Oh, Patty's every night? like, yes, she is a, quite a jock. She hit the shot every Oh, she every got night? every night. Wow. There wasn't just a basketball suspended over the stage? I don't ever missed, no. Eight shows a week, wow, that's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> that is, yeah. And she's like a dot as well, she's little, right? She's yeah. like 5'2". Oh, I don't think more than that. But like five, three, five, yeah, four. she, she, yeah, some that of the boys I was worried about, but <laughs> and there were only a few times when the basketballs would run off. The stage. Oh, we haven't even thought about the logistics of putting basketballs on stage yet. Oh, <laughs> Man, I'm just gonna sit in the corner and play NBA Jam every night. Uh, and we are bringing in a basketball consultant. Of we are gonna have a basketball consultant our, on this. Our well, good science boy Kevin Ryder. Only on the basis that I am so British and I know absolutely nothing about basketball. My only exposure to basketball with Space Jam so <laughs> I literally like when even when Shelby's talking about the court lines I'm like mm-hmm, the line the, the circle line and she's like the foul line there. the center line and the yeah. goal line I didn't know anything about basketball and I still don't I just knew that there were five people and Biddy Strawn who was our my vocalist mm-hmm. who was in the the band she is Miss Basketball so she was our consultant for mm-hmm. like what do you say what's a basketball play and she'd be like well you set the pick do the triangle do this all that so she was and do you know that what are the players called or is it you know forward power forward all those center center rear guard 
shortstop and no, no, quarterback. No, no. Sexually, uh, I cheated out like no. a minute ago. Yeah, <laughs> my when I was reading for the script, I don't know if either of you know this, but like the the big final match is up against Syracuse. Yeah. Syracuse University is a huge college basketball. That's I'm from Syracuse, so when uh, I read that, I was thrown for a loop because it was like, wait, there's all these fake names, and then an actual co- no, Syracuse was a city state in ancient Rome. That yes. was my journey throughout the story. Yeah. And also so. that line, the boys from Syracuse kills me every time. Yeah. Like, every single time. That's the joke I get. I'm like, there's the musical theater joke. You didn't catch the Wells Fargo wagon joke in Comedia. Oh, I had to I explain know. to you that I it's know. the Music Man. You guys, I'm very English. It's the Music Man. I'm very oh, yeah. English. You're English. Oh, shut up, Lewis. <laughs> well, I think that, that I think we've had, like, this has been a really great chat. Thank you <laughs> I think so, too. Lewis, thank you for your time. Thank you for we're, doing our show. We're Can't excited to, to have it. your show in our hands. Yes, me too. Yes. Oh, she knows what's going to happen. Hmm. <laughs> I don't even know. This is before first production meeting. I don't know what's going to happen. But the show is going up in the spring. You can catch more information on that at OpheliaTheater.org. Do you have anything you want to promote? Is there a thing happening? Well, Listen Strider Jones is happening at the Ophelia Theatre Group. That's true! <laughs> that so is that's true. my front burner project. <laughs> okay. Well, for Lewis Flynn, <laughs> for Billy Aiken Tires, I'm Zach Rich. This has been Ophelia Talk.